makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. And I send you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, where the active breath of the Munsi Lenape Nation lives in what is now temporarily called the Catskill Mountains by the settlers Dutch and Americans. Regardless, they are the highlands of the Esopus. I'm Teokas and Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. And from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, the producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer ally guide is the Malcolm Byrne. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices, IndigenousRadio.org for archive downloading and listening. Our theme song is Tahi by Moana and the Moa Hunters. Our guest for this week's edition of First Voices Radio is Edgardo C. Krebs, who was born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He studies social anthropology at the University of Oxford in England. Edgardo's main topic of interest is history of anthropology in Argentina. I asked Edgardo to give us a few thoughts and background to an article published in April 2022 about a landmark Napalpi massacre trial begins in Argentina, unquote. Nearly a century on from the 1924 Nopalpi massacre, a legal milestone is reached in a court in Resistencia Chaco province in Argentina. Almost 100 years after police officers and settlers in Argentina mowed down hundreds of indigenous peoples who were protesting living and working conditions on cotton plantations and with all the killers long dead Guilt has never been officially assigned for the 1924 Mopalpi massacre of members of and Mokuat communities on land settled by immigrant farmers from Europe, mainly Italy. I had these thoughts, questions, and notes prior to and after reading the article. Yes, keeping in mind that Argentina is not a European country in the middle of an indigenous continent, in the middle of indigenous lands of hundreds of native nations within the context of what is now South America. The first historian of Argentina was Mestizo, an indigenous woman who gave the name of the country through the book The Argentine. 
Did natives, Indians, or indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere have souls or even considered human beings? And that there was an actual debate held in Europe in the 16th century. Edgardo Krebs says that Western nations like Argentina and so forth are dealing with very complicated, rich history of failure when it comes to affairs, treatment, and consequential behavior toward indigenous populations since 1492, and failure to incorporate indigenous peoples to the nation-state, failure to understand the indigenous ways of seeing the world, failure to engage with their customary laws, which are different to the laws of the country. And I add that all along the imposed colonialism wrought against the lands the indigenous peoples is being questioned. I pick up in conversation with Ricardo Krebs. And I want to welcome Edgar Krebs, who's an Argentine. He's also living in Bethesda, Maryland. And I wanted to correct some things about an article I read through the Buenos Aires Times about a landmark Nepalopi massacre trial beginning in Argentina 98 years after indigenous killings. And I wondered why it takes so long to actually bring this to forward to the court. All the victims are gone and the families are probably gone, but still legally it's still there. Could you give us some updates? Okay, well, I, I think that this is a, a truth trial shaped by uh, some precedents like the ones in, in South Africa. They don't have a strictly legal purpose. They have a pedagogical and an educational purpose. There are no defendants. The people who perpetrated the massacre are long dead. The people who were massacred obviously are, are dead and the immediate relatives, most of them dead. So this is a, a public forensic exercise designed to go over the facts and make them public so that the whole process serves an educational goal to instruct, educate Argentines who have never heard of this about the existence of this massacre, which is not the only one that happened in the Chaco in the late 19th century and going into well into the 20th century. It is just one of several massacres. So, as I say, the, the prosecutors um, cannot charge anybody. What they are limited to, to doing is bringing facts to the surface, the testimonials of different types, and forensic reconstruction uh, of, of what took place. When you're talking about the, the legal aspects of it and the parties are, are dead and gone or still are they're just going through this motion of maybe righting a wrong. What parties were involved back then? Just straight out government involvement, but well, now they're admitting I, it or what, what is going on? I, I think that the first educational purpose of an exercise like this should be to convince Argentines that they are not a European country and to convince and to pass the news on to people abroad who tend to think of Argentina as a European country, the European country in an indigenous Latin America. That is totally false. Argentina is as much uh, an indigenous country as any other in the area, uh, but it didn't have an Inca empire like Peru. It didn't have an Aztec empire like in Mexico. So... For Europeans, it was more difficult to engage with hunter-gatherers 
that when established city dwellers. But you have Indians all over the place in Argentina. You have at least three important frontiers and a fourth one. The first frontier in the northwest along the Andes, that was part of the Inca Empire before the uh, Europeans arrived. Uh, it, it was one of the four sections of the empire. It was the Sur. That was one of the first areas of metisage, of mixing of people, because the Indians who lived there were used to Incas invading, subjecting, and uh, even sending sons of principal uh, caciques to Cusco to be educated in the ways of the Incas, so that when they went back to their homelands, they would be like ethnographers of the Incas, and they would be able to act as go-betweens. The other frontier is around Buenos Aires and Asunción, the, uh, the capital of Paraguay. The first Spaniards to set foot in what today is Argentina did so in, in the River Plate. And they founded a, a city. The head of the, of the mission, uh, Mendoza, was killed by the Indians, by the Kirandias. That settlement was a disaster. A disaster. The Indians surrounded the palisades and eventually starved the people to death. And they had to migrate to what is Asunción in Paraguay. So there was a nexus between uh, Buenos Aires and Asunción. And that's the second frontier. The third frontier is from Buenos Aires southwards to the, the Pampas and even further south, Patagonia. And the fourth frontier is Tierra del Fuego. So you have indigenous communities, indigenous languages, ind indigenous cosmologies to give away. Uh, there are plenty of those in Argentina. The problem is, has been that after independence, the people who imagined the country, the new country, decided to cut off links with the colonial past. So with the colonial past went all the complicated relationships that the first inhabitants from Europe, first settlers, had with the indigenous populations. And then by the end of the century, uh, this happened in 1810, by 1880, with uh, the nation state fully formed, and lots of immigrants ca coming in, millions, literally. That colonial past with the, the, the many nuances and connections between Indians and, and Spaniards, the first historian of Argentina is Anestiso, an Indian, the result of the marriage of an Indian woman uh, and a man. And she gave the name of the country to the country. The book is called uh, La Argentina, the Argentine. So... To me, it has always been incomprehensible that the country decides to or decided to identify itself with Europe when it has such a rich col colonial and indigenous past and present, because the Indians have not gone anywhere. And I'm thinking the exploitation, there had to be a resource. So these financiers and bankers come in to, to do exactly the actions you're talking about. Was there a certain maybe gold or oil? What was it that brought them in? Blood, bodies, Indians. Um, so the, the first uh, system that was used to exploit Indians in what is today Argentina was a system that came to the Spaniards from their eight 
centuries of warfare with the Moors, in, with the Arabs in Spain. And it was called encomienda. And encomienda was a system that allotted a group, a certain number of Indians, to a Spanish settlement, and they were supposed to work for the, for the Spaniards. It was immediately denounced, barbarous exploitation by Bartolomé de las Casas in his famous debate with uh, Sepúlveda in Salamanca, a debate that uh, was um, called by, by the king of Spain. And the purpose was to determine whether the Indians had souls. And if they did, they were human beings and they deserved to be treated like creatures of God. And the man posing that uh, argument was Bartolomé de las Casas. And Bartolomé de las Casas won the debate. And he was the first designed protector of Indians, the top of a bureaucratic pyramid that developed over the centuries. One of the first resolutions taken after this debate in Valladolid was to abolish the encomiendas. But the, the encomenderos, the, the owners of the encomiendas, were already very powerful. And they didn't want to take this resolution sitting down. So one of the things they did was kill the viceroy of Peru. So the encomiendas had a life that went on alongside an increasing number of uh, legal precedents and uh, jurisprudence created by the, by the Spanish crown to curb them, to curb the encomiendas. And eventually Indians got very smart about using those legal resources to petition directly to the king. And there were, between Mexico and Peru, hundreds of thousands of petitions that were received in Spain and that got good results in a, a good amount of cases and uh, served as precedents for the crown to govern. So you have encomiendas, but then a very powerful from the ground up movement of uh, Indians litigating with the crown to have their rights respected. What happened with in Napalpi uh, is that that frontier was the last one to be settled, uh, the Chaco frontier, where Napalpi, the, the reservation, the reduction, it was not called a reservation. Uh, so all these, all these groups that lived in the Chaco, and they were at war with each other, um, some of them, ended up employed by big establishments that produced cotton as cotton pickers. That was the case of Napalpi. And further north, they were employed in sugar mill uh, plantations and tobacco plantations. And what happened in Napalpi is that the owners of this uh, business, cotton business, didn't want to pay the full salary to the Indians, which was very meager anyway. Indians began to concentrate, protest, and at one point, the army was called in and they were massacred. The numbers vary, uh, 200, 300, 400, 500. Sex, age was not a question. Uh, everybody that, that could be reached by a bullet was killed. But there was an element also of... Um, millenarian revolt in, 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 in this affair. Uh, Indians channeling some of the 
teachings of uh, Protestant denominational you know, churches that had introduced the idea of the second coming. So we have uh, in another reservation, uh, in another case, Rincon Bomba, Indians dancing and singing all night and going into trance. You know, uh, you have to think of ghost dancing in the, in, in the United States, a similar phenomenon. And uh, that scared the white settlers uh, to death. So they called the, the army and the army went into a, a, a shooting spree. And they also killed hundreds of people uh, in uh, Rincon Bomba. You have the Chaco War a few years down the line in the 30s. That was fought between Paraguay and Bolivia over oil. And Indians were soldiers for both sides. And they were killed from airplanes. It was a rehearsal for what was going to happen a few years later in uh, in Europe, uh, in Guernica, in Spain, and uh, in the Blitz, you know. But the victims were Indians. If there's something good that can come out of this for an American audience is the realization that we're dealing with a very complicated, rich history of failure, uh, failure to incorporate indigenous peoples to the nation state, failure to understand their ways of seeing the world, failure to engage with their customary laws, which are different to the laws of the country. I can give you an example that is very clear among the Wichi, uh, the province of Formosa, the Chaco, still in the Chaco, there is a, a category called priviñado, kinship category, that allows the husband of a woman to marry the daughter of that woman with another man. So the same man could be married to mother and daughter, not his own daughter. The daughter is someone else. And that is sanctioned customary law. But uh, in, in, in the eyes of Argentine law, that is a scandal. And so the, the, the guy accused of, of, of doing that was seven years in, in prison without uh, a trial. It was a huge effort to get things going. Anyway, I think you get the picture. It's a constant struggle. Of course, the Indians themselves are involved. They do what they can. They seek alliances with, with whites. Uh, sometimes they are very successful. In the case of this, this man, who was sent to prison for doing something that is acceptable for the Gucci. He got help from an Englishman, fellow anthropologist, a personal friend of mine, who married a Gucci Indian and has seven children with, him, with her. So uh, he lives there. There's a documentary about him. I will send you a link because you can watch it. Uh, it's free online. It's a fantastic documentary. It's called The Ethnographer. And the case is explained fully there. And you'll be able to see the landscape and you will be able to see the, the Indians. I've been to the Chaco several times. I had a chance to, for instance, visit a rural school and talk to the, to the teacher. The teacher was probably an Indian four generations back. But now he was teaching little kids, boys and girls. And I looked at the library and uh, I saw a collection, great, uh, a collection on and great men. You know? They were all white people. Some of them I know myself. Uh, 
So I thought, what is the purpose of this library here? Uh, what, why do you use these books to teach them anything? He said, the only thing that they like is biology because they get to go out into the, into the forest and look at plants and birds. That's the only thing that they like. I thought that that poor teacher was in a way a hero because he was doing something that was impossible. He was charged with doing something impossible. And uh, the parents of the children sent the children to the school, not because they were very enthusiastic about what they could learn there, but because they were fed twice a day. So that gives you an idea. An idea. Now, I, I, I learned that uh, there's an epidemic of suicide suicides among the among uh, the young young kids in in uh, in Formosa in in the Chaco and it is is so heavy on on the soul to see so much stupidity so much of so much lack of real interest people are still thinking of the white population i would say of a new age indian which is a generic indian that could be also an african and they don't pay attention to the culture. They don't pay attention how these people are, uh, to their generosity, to... Anyway, uh, it is a tragedy. Edgar, you know, what set this all up in Europe to come and colonize? And many of our people, and as you're reconstructing the article and the time period and what happened and why we are basically casualties of our own ignorance as native people as well as other people that time of colonial that period of colonialism that's not real like this article we're, we're only hearing the emptiness of it or we're yes. living the terrible depth of, of colonization and not knowing where it's happening because our kids our, our babies our children are not steeped in the, the consciousness, at least the history of what happened and why they are minority and why are they are second, third class. But something had to set this up. And, and I, I think something I read about the Berlin Conference, and most people don't know what that is. And it, it should not bore people to know what the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 1885 is about. The Berlin Conference is a decisive event that launched the new era, a new era of, of imperialism that reached the Chaco, reached Argentina. Uh, it happened in, I think it was 1886. It, it, it was maneuvered behind the lines by King Leopold of Belgium that wanted to claim uh, huge tracts of land in the Congo. But he used Bismarck, a ruler of, of Germany. He had reunited Germany because before Bismarck, Germany was a conglomerate of, of different small states. But under Bismarck, they all became, they all came together under the banner of Germany. So he hosted the conference and Britain was there, delegates from Great Britain, from France, from Italy, of course, from Belgium. And that launched like a rocket, a new period of colonialism in Africa, in Southeast Asia, and more dangerous than the first and relatively quiet uh, era of, of imperialism because it didn't have the technological means and the financial means to do so much damage like the second wave, uh, the post-Berlin uh, Conference wave. What came together after the Berlin Conference and after the European powers divided between themselves 
huge tracts of land in Africa, in Asia, giving them names like Tanganyika, for instance. Uh, what came together was financial power and technological innovations like uh, the railways, uh, financial instruments, telegraph, uh, the steamboat. So money, people, European bosses, so to speak, uh, could move everywhere and, and very fast. And countries like Argentina uh, that, that had just finished, uh, in the case of the Chaco, its last war with, with the indigenous people. Of, uh, of the land, did business by leasing those lands that, did, that were the lands of hunter-gatherers and uh, giving them to industrial concerns to exploit sugarcane, sugar cotton, tobacco, and, uh, and cattle. And in the middle of this new barren sort of cultural landscape, uh, the, Indian, the Indians were left behind and they had to find a way of surviving. So in many cases, they, they employed themselves as workforce, the only thing that they could do. And this is pretty recent. Uh, it's a century ago, but the consequences are, are, are being felt even today. So anything that can be done to edu educate the population about this history is, is, is a positive thing. Uh, on, on the other hand, uh, if you're going to do this truth trials. You have to be better than the best. You have to get your facts right. You have to take it very seriously. Uh, you need to leave behind a document that is unimpeachable. And even before the 1800s, there's a thing called the Papal Bulls and Doctrine of Discovery that launched it all into the Western Hemisphere. And, you know, thank you for this interview. And I'm thinking the clarity that will come out of this and the depth that's needed you mentioned the source of information has to be really um, exposed to people. But what good will it do, the, the policies, the government of Argentina and how they treat the native people? Will there be a change if this is exposed? It's a gesture. Uh, you have, to, you have to, to think about who is going to pick that gesture up and what changes might follow. Uh, it's... It's very difficult. Um, I think that fiction, novels, short stories reach the population much more than a trial. And Argentina has been very bad at creating fictions involving Indians. Not that there's nothing. I mean, one of the greatest writers we've produced in Argentina, Borges, respected universally, has a very subtle approach to the Indian matter, to the Indian subject. People who read Borges don't understand what he's saying. So I've written about it. Uh, I published things about it. I knew Borges personally. I think that films are necessary. John Ford did a number of films. I don't know how they are appreciated by Native Americans. But I think that he tried to establish a good working relationship. And in the case of um, The Searchers, um, there's a scene in which John Wayne and, and Scar are looking at each other and they could be each other. They, they, they could change places. They are both the product of the same uh, historical processes. And Borges has, has a, a short story about a captive, 
a British woman that was taken by 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 the Indians, and his Borges's own mother, who was a, a grandmother, sorry, who was married to the the man in charge, the military man in charge of the of the frontier. She was an an English woman uh, as well. So one day she was uh, on horseback in the countryside. And she crossed paths with this English woman. She was working uh, on the land. And she thought, okay, I'm going to talk to her in English. She addressed her in English. And this former English woman looked at her and spat at her. So that that is, for me, the English, the, the Argentine version of that scene in The Searchers. Two people that could be the same people that decide not to recognize each other. Well, thank you for this update and clarifying that article for this this interview. But thank you again for joining us here on First Voices, Edgar Krebs. It's good to talk to you. I've been I've been to 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 Indian country myself, to your reservation, and uh, I think that comparing North and South would be educational for Argentines and for Americans. What happened there and what what happened here. Both countries grow up if they look at their history together. So thank you. Thank you again for being here. No, thank you. A pleasure. Right, this is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse, and uh, thank you for joining us. We are international and national First Voices Radio, as we go out to more than 100 stations all around North America and across the planet. Plus, you can access us on the computer, right? And that's easily done. And throughout the week or so, you can hear the last program we've done on various stations here in New York and all over. So I want to just spend the last next 30 minutes or so or less with uh, some indigenous musicians from Canada, from the United States, from Turtle Island. I should be saying that and decolonize my language and not just keep reinforcing the, you know, the matrix, so to speak. So I'm just going to go right to this and I'd like to just cue it up and go for this. First, we'll go through maybe four or five songs and I'll come back at you live. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin, Ghost Horse. Under my feet now 
time is moving like a river winding through. Can't stop it, not a thing that you can do. No, nothing stays the same. The earth, the stars, the pain, the scars, but love will tiny feet roam all the things you have done on top of being a wife a mother a daughter a home oh what have you seen in your short long life what has your heart overcome the traditional way that are hidden away can be revived by the beat of a drum drum what have you seen in your short long life what did those tiny hands do stretching scraping fixing and making blending the skins that our souls fit within stitching nothing can undo What have you seen in your short, long life? What has your heart overcome? The traditional ways that are hidden away can be revived by the beat of a drum.
about my homelessness to so many wrongs. Relocation, damnation, misinformation, summation, our nation still strong. in your short long life when did they silence your voice the stories they spun made you swallow your tongue made you feel like it was your choice Spring coming right along. Oh, about a nice way to ask her for a song. So I asked the mountain if she might want to move me. She said, Tell the rivers to wake up the lake. See, rivers take it from sky into home base. And yellow belly hawks know how to kill taste. Singing for the spring is like kissing pretty things. And changes like fire, changes like wind. Birch bark and maple and seas of black hair. Sing show, show not feeling here.
You put my earphones on? Right now for that water? I was wondering where you're going. Wow, live radio, huh? It's always fun. Okay, let me take... Reaping so. Yeah, very... (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's go through that that set of music here that, um... So, yeah, starting it all off, the first song in that set, Tree of Life, and with our late great friend Vince LaFontaine and his band Indian City from the album Here and Now. Tiny Hands from Quantum Tangle out of Yellow Knife. Northwest Territories was the second song, followed by number three, right? Spring to Come, and from the album We Are. Shoshana, Kiste, and Raven, sounds like Canada. Kanatka, a husband and wife duo, the beating heart of digging roots, breathing life into songs from their land of Anishinaabe and Onwe Gonwe traditions. And the fourth one, Some Kind of Hell, from the 2019 album Kiawana by Burnstick with Donnie Jason Burnstick and Nadia Lise Michelle Godet. And Jason Burnstick is an award-winning Plains Cree singer, songwriter, and film composer who performs with his vintage Borns. Malcolm, what is that? What is Wisenborns? Wisenborns? Yeah. In reference to? I don't know, instruments with his vintage Wisenborns. Huh. Well, I'm going to take a wild guess and think it's some sort of... um German stringed instrument. Mm, okay. <laughs> or maybe it's from... Weissenborn. Weissenborn. Yeah. And lap slide guitar. Jason is known for his ability to freely move from one side, one style to the next, attributing his this freedom to his musical upbringing. So I can only guess that it's some kind of maybe a slide guitar. Possibly, yeah. Mm. I've heard the name before. Mm. Uh, Weissenborn, yeah. Yeah. And the last song, Reaping So, from... One Way Sky and the album Soul Searcher from the album Soul Searcher from the Gila River Indian community and Tohono O'odham Nation. This song was written in a very difficult time and is a reflection of the choices we make in life. And there's another track called Humanity that we I didn't play that I favor and I'm totally excited about this young and upcoming indigenous band. Advice, I got a Weissenborn for you. You have a Weissenborn? Weissenborn is a brand of lap. You were very good. You were very close. It's a brand of laps. It's a it's a brand name, but it's a brand of lap slide guitar manufactured by Hermann Weissenborn from the it's a from, from the twenties and thirties. So they don't from make them anymore. From over there in Germany? No, no. Austria. Well, I mean, he might have been German, but or Jewish, but uh, hmm. from the nineteen twenties and thirties. But he was in uh, Los Angeles. Oh, L.A. LA. So he's probably in a lot of movies. L.A. All right, yeah. The humanity and the human, right? Our, You're a human being. The human and the You're humanity of a, being a human being are trying to figure out what that is. So much so I've only become a human doing. How's that? Okay. All right. So we're just going to go out with this one. Thank you for joining us here. And uh, if you want to look us up here, we are First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasen Ghostors. And this next one is uh, a good one. We're going to go out with it. And thanks for joining us here on First Voices Radio. We're on the road, we're leaving now Gonna find the place they call tomorrow Tomorrow It's the place we dreamed about If we go, there ain't no doubt They'll follow, they'll follow Suddenly we've come this far I realize there's so much more to this life This life There by daylight, oh, 
Take me to 